listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Uh, a couple years ago, Beck and I went on a, a trip to Europe. Uh, it was one of our goals when we got married. We wanted to go out to Europe. Um, actually, we said to ourselves, let's, let's go out to Europe before we have kids. Really, we wanted to do one trip before we had kids. And it was in Italy when we found out we were pregnant. So it was calling it close, but we did it. So we got to Italy. And, uh, and of course, when you go to Italy, you're going to try all the nice foods. Becca's dad was with us, and we tried cheeses, and we tried meats. And it was, I'm sorry for making you hungry already this early in the, in the message, but uh, it was delicious. And uh, one of the things that I loved about Italy is you would go there, and you'd ask for a coffee, and they'd give you this tiny little cup, <laughs> this tiny little cute little cup that had an espresso in it. Right? And they don't serve coffee like we serve it here. Uh, they only serve espresso there. And uh, it was always interesting when I would order, because my, my wife does a very um, uh, convincing Italian accent. Her dad is actually Italian, so of course he does a great job. But I come in, they're like, America. <laughs> like, they're, like, they're like, who is this guy? And, uh, but by the end of the trip, I was able to actually convincingly, I, I ordered a coffee and then the guy asked me a question afterwards and you saw me like a deer in headlights. Oh, I don't know what he's saying. And, uh, but the, the coffee was so rich there, so bold, so, so good. I just loved the coffee there. And if you talk to Becca's Nona, who passed away earlier this year, she would ask you about um, what is it these people are holding in all these TV shows? Like what's in their hand? They've got this big, massive cup. And her, her, Becca's dad would explain to her Nona and say, that's coffee. And she, that much coffee? Right? Because like espresso, that much espresso would be, you know, that'd be a lot of energy for that day. You'd be, you wouldn't need coffee for a, for a week maybe. But uh, the reality is that coffee, as it journeyed across the world and it came to America, kind of got watered down. And so if you go out to Italy and you want like a watered down coffee, you literally have to call, call it an Americano. Because that's what happened. And I, I, this morning, I'm excited to share with you the, the a bold gospel, the good, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to have to tell you the truth that's just similar to the coffee. As the gospel has come out to the West, it's kind of gotten a little watered down. And so this morning, as we go into God's word, I want to share with you the full, bold truth of the gospel. And I want to share with you this because the reality is that Real disciples, real followers of Jesus Christ know the boldness of the gospel. This is actually one of our pillars here at, at Hope Bible Church is sharing the gospel with boldness. And I, I want for you this morning to hear the gospel in its full truth, in its full, uh, in its full measure, to know what it was meant to taste like. Not a watered down version. You see, the passage that we're at is Luke chapter 14, verse 25. And right before we get to this passage, Jesus is sharing a story. If, you don't, if, if you're unfamiliar with, the, with who Jesus is and, and, and what the Gospels are, Gospel is the word for good news. So when I say Gospel this morning, I mean the good news. And I don't mean just any good news. I mean the greatest news that has ever come to earth in all of history. The good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and died for our sins and resurrected. 
And when I share this gospel good news this morning, um, uh, th this is what Jesus was doing. Jesus was walking around in the Mediterranean, and he was kind of getting a bit of a following by this point in his story. He was getting a lot of people attracted to him, very interested in him, because he had been doing very fantastic things. He had been multiplying food for people that were hungry. He, he cast out demons. He healed people. He was sharing very controversial teachings. He was going toe-to-toe uh, -to -toe with some of the religious leaders at the time. And he had quite a following. And then he shares this story, uh, this parable, because that's, that's what a parable is. It's a story. And Jesus goes and shares this story uh, right before we get to the passage we're in. And it's a story of a host. And what the host does is he, he decides to have a party and invite people. And he sends out all these invites. He sends his invites out through his servants. And his servants go to different people. And different people give him different RSVPs. Because that's the, just as a hint, if you ever run an event, the best way to get people to answer back to you is just send them a personal message. I've sent out tons of mass emails. Who sent out a t mass email and never got a message back? Yeah, you know what that's like. So he sent out the servant to the, to the people that he invited. And all their RSVPs were, they were lame. They're like, oh, I just got a field. I want to check on my field. <laughs> I, I just got some oxen. I, I'm kind of busy checking out my oxen. Uh, I got married. And uh, I know you're inviting me to a great party for me and my new wife to go and hang out at, but I feel like we're just going to stay home and focus on our marriage. And what does the host do? The host goes, fine. You guys don't want to come to my party? I'm going to open the invite out. And the host opens the invite and sends his servant out into the streets and to the highways and invites everyone in. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the great news that Jesus is ready to receive all. The sick, the sinner, the hurting. No matter what kind of life situation you're coming in this morning, I want to tell you the good news is that Jesus Christ loves you. And he's ready to hear you and to, and to, to forgive you of your sins. And this is a very popular, very popular message today in our culture, especially in North America. We love inclusivity, don't we? We just love this idea of everyone can fit in, everyone can come in. The, 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 this, this great news of uh, rights and freedoms and availability. And, but there's a point at which Jesus actually makes a little change that is very different from what our culture teaches. And that's the message we're going to go into today. So I encourage you to, to lean in. Because what you're going to hear this morning is not necessarily the same good news, the same gospel message you would hear in many churches. It's not going to be the same gospel good news that you're going to hear uh, our culture get behind. And it's the fact that following Jesus is still good news, even in the hard times, even with lots of sacrifice. And real disciples can know this. Real disciples believe this. Look with me in uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, like I said, and he turned to them and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross cannot, uh, and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down? And count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? 
And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. See, Jesus turns to this great crowd and he tells them these hard, controversial truths, important truths, because he wants real disciples following him. The reality is there is a great big crowd of Christianity here in North America, but I wonder if there are many disciples. My prayer for you this morning is that you might not be part of the crowd, but that you might be a real disciple. I love that my role here is to do discipleship. I can't tell you what gets me more excited in the morning than to get up and talk about discipleship. Just what it means to give your whole life over to Jesus Christ. And how that turns out into into pouring into others and making disciples. So this this first message that Jesus teaches though, verse 26, if you look at that. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's That's a kind of strong word, don't you think? I don't know about you, but when I grew up, my mom used to tell me all the time, don't you ever say hate. Did anyone else have a parent who told you don't ever say hate? Don't ever say hate. I didn't care if it was about people or food, (laughs) right? Mom would say, don't ever say hate. You you don't hate that. Just say like you strongly dislike it, (laughs) right? You know that. You're laughing because you were told that, weren't you? Yeah. Or like you one day learned what the word loathe means and you're just like, I loathe these vegetables. <laughs> no, the reality is this word hate is a strong word and we know that it's a strong word. And my job here this morning is not really to lighten the load of it, but to give it clarity. The reality is Jesus, Jesus does use this word hate, but uh, earlier in his teaching, Jesus talks about do not be angry at people. If you're angry at people, you're committing murder in your own heart. He, he, oh, Jesus holds a high standard for how you feel about people. But when he uses this word hate, it isn't about a reaction to somebody. It's more about a disposition. Where do they stand in terms of your loyalty? Another time that we hear this word hate is also in, uh, earlier in the Bible when you hear about God talking about Jacob he loved, Esau he hated. You think God loved everybody in all of history, but not Esau? No. You see, this, that passage is to point the disposition. Where, where does Jacob sit and Esau sit in terms of loyalty and blessing and commitment and these types of things? And, and the message here is the same in that Jesus asks us, where is your loyalty? Who comes first in your life? And I know in our world, we say family first all the time. But this gospel message teaches us something else. It says that before our marriage, before our parenting, before our family, Christ must come first. And you can go throughout this whole world and you will find people who will just give you a pat on the back if you say family first. But this is not what this teaches. Real disciples understand that following Christ means putting him first. You see, we're a church that proclaims that Christ is enough. Um, many of you in this church, I, I haven't been here very long, but I've, been, I've had a few opportunities to kind of hear some of your stories and some of your testimonies. And I got to say, I'm just, I, I am really encouraged by the stories I hear here. Hear, here. That's weird. Okay. Uh, 
I really do. I, I really appreciate because what I've heard time after time, because this is a church plant of, of only about five years old, and, and so what that means is that you know some of you, if you are a Christian, you've been a Christian for longer than five years, then you've probably come from another church context. Some of you are choosing to go to church here this morning instead of go to church with your, the rest of your family. Some of you are choosing to follow Christ and, and follow his true gospel despite not going to the church that maybe your kids want you to go to. Some of you are choosing this morning to put Christ first. And I know, as I've listened to you, that you are not dissatisfied because Christ is enough. What if, your what if it isn't about a negative sense, but what if it's a more positive sense? What if, what if your spouse said to you this morning, I think I'm called into ministry. I think I need to give my whole life. I think I actually am done with my career where I am. And I think we need to go. We're going to uproot our whole family. We're going to go into missions. We're going to go and we're going to serve the Lord in full-time ministry as a pastor. Yeah, I know there will be a pay cut. Yeah, I know there will be some job security issues. Yeah, I know I'm afraid of speaking in front of a crowd. But if God has called me, will you go with me? It's... I mean, maybe one thing if it was your spouse, but what about your child? I remember when I was young, my mom always said, I, I, we were trying to discuss what kind of job I would be good at, and she said, you should be an accountant. She said, I just had too much personality. That's the only problem. <laughs> She's funny. Uh, the reality is that uh, I didn't picture going into ministry when I was younger. Even when I got first married. We were newly married, and I had this great job as a carpenter, and Oh, well, not really. I was supporting carpenters, and I loved my job. I, I got paid to sit in traffic some days. It was awesome. Like, who doesn't, who does, who does a great job? Because in Toronto, you sit in traffic all the time. Um, and the reality is, I loved my job, and I loved the fact that I had a good income coming in. I didn't have uh, the pressure of getting my schooling done. I was just taking a course at a time. And then, about six months into our marriage, uh, somebody invited us to, uh, to go into ministry. So, would you ever consider just doing this full-time? I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. I'll do that when I'm 40. <laughs> and they said, no, what about like starting in January? I said, you're not going to, you don't want me. I'm just some young punk kid. I said, no, we're ready, we're ready to bring you on, on team. And uh, I was like, sure, why not? I had no idea what kind of pay cut that really meant. My wife and I both had a, we, it was a tough, it was a bad, uh, it was a bad decision from a worldly standpoint for our marriage, for our first year of marriage. But in our second year of marriage, we moved, I think, three times or four times. Two of those times, we were living with my parents because we just couldn't find a place where we could afford to pay rent. And I was, I was working full-time. I was finishing my schooling full-time, which was in an hour and a half away school, and my wife was in full-time school as well. Financially, we ate dirt. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was tough. But when you put Christ first above your ideas about marriage and family, and parenting, what I've always found is he is ever satisfying and never disappointing. You see, even for kids this morning, kids, as you're leaning in, you're looking at your, your packages, you're, and that's good, but you need to make your faith your own, not your parents' faith. And this, I worked in youth ministry for a few years, and, and that was just, that was the resounding message continually. Continually, I would hear kids just say, yeah, I grew up in church, but it, everything changed when I finally decided Christ for myself. 
if our kids would do that, I, I would, we would just have this great celebration here. So following Christ in job loss, in marriage difficulty, when family is trying to be divisive, it is tough. But Christ is enough. Family and friendships and self-help, these are always going to be the most deceiving of idols because they just feel so wholesome, don't they? You see, but the reality is this. The crowd of Christianity, they talk about their gospel accessories. They talk about their marriage. They talk about their family. They talk about their parenting techniques, all these types of things. But people who are disciples, they talk about their Jesus and who he is to them, what he has done in their life. My heart for you is that you would just talk about Lord Jesus like he's... He is, like who he is, which is he is the best thing that has ever happened to me. And I love my wife, but Jesus comes first. The gospel has no embellishments like that. The second thing that we see here as we journey on in the passage is the gospel has no hidden fees. But actually, can I just take a break before we go into that and look at verse 27? Here's something that I think we skim over often. In verse 27, it says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I think we skim over that because from our perspective, 2,000 and something years later, the cross is this picture of hope. Most often we see a cross, you know, like this, and it's, it's clean, and, and, and it's nice, and it's, it's, it's memorable, and maybe we see a little gold one hanging from our neck. But you have to understand, if Jesus is saying this, he hasn't been on a cross yet. You see, crosses were not identified with Christ at this point in the story. For a person in that crowd to hear, take up your cross... You know what came to their mind? Their senses would just be overwhelmed with the thoughts, the sound of timber dragging across stonework in Jerusalem. The smell of crowds walking by and yelling and screaming at the man that, or the person that was carrying their cross. The, the, the shouts of pain, the mockery. You see, when Jesus said this, he was not saying this to a crowd of people that went, oh, crosses make me feel happy. He was saying this to a group of people that had to understand that following him was going to come at a cost. But I love how he, every time he talks about the cost, he talks about the fact that they are his disciples. Just, there's such a, a warmth and beauty and a, and a comfort in knowing that we are his, even though we have to bear our cross. Verse 28, for which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him. Jesus is sharing the parable, the story of a, of a person that has started this foundation in order to build this beautiful tower. And he has great plans. He's probably set aside some material and some money to get this done. But by the time he's done his foundation, he realizes, I'm out of money. <laughs> I'm out of materials. I'm out of time. That's embarrassing. It's like when you start baking and you realize you don't have eggs. <laughs> And I'm saying that from the perspective of someone who knows nothing about baking. I think there's eggs in baking. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> the reality is, it's embarrassing. And Jesus is saying, have you signed up to follow me? Not thinking about how much this could really cost. 
Have you signed up to be part of this crowd, this big movement of Jesus? And really haven't thought about what's on the line? You see, with that first story, what he said, with that first message, he said, I don't think you realize what's not guaranteed. But with this message, he says, I don't think you realize what's on the line when you follow me. It reminds me of uh, the rich young ruler. If, you, if you've read the Bible, then you might remember this story of the rich young ruler, this young man who comes to Jesus and says, how can I inherit the kingdom of God? I've, I've, uh, I've, I've obeyed all the commandments. Is that, how's that? And Jesus turns to him and says, sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And what does he do? He walks away sad, his face cast down. Disappointed, just like the man who built this tower, because he realized that when, when Jesus Christ dies for all of, uh, gives his whole life for you, he wants your whole life in exchange. Not just a portion of it. See, when Jesus lived on this earth, in every area of his life, he lived to perfection. And I don't mean like aesthetic perfection. Apparently he wasn't much to look at, but he lived perfectly in his heart towards people, and his, his attitudes. There wasn't an area of his life that he didn't want to be holy. So he gave to Caesar what was Caesar's. He, he honored his parents. In every area of his life, he lived perfectly because that was the cost for our lives. And so when he paid that price for our lives, he didn't pay it just for a portion of yours. He paid it for all of your life. Some of us come into church and we want to be part of the crowd, but we, we aren't really willing to allow all of our lives to be his. Just a portion. I mean, I remember as a teenager when I stopped giving just my heart to Jesus. I remember growing up all the time as a teenager or being younger, they would say, give your heart to Jesus, give your heart to Jesus. I gave my heart to Jesus a ton of times. It wasn't until I was a little older until I gave him the rest of me. Because it was easy for me to give my heart. The idea of giving my heart just felt like, oh, I believe in him, like he exists. Uh, I, I like him. Uh, I like his words. And, and uh, I, I believe he's God. That's just giving your heart. But he wanted my whole life. He wanted what I was being entertained by. He wanted what I spent my money on. He wanted what I put my hands to, what I dedicated my mind to, what I dedicated my life to. Every area of my life. When people come into Christianity, I feel like we should almost do something like a premarital counseling, Meldon. You know, I feel like we should almost do a premarital counseling and kind of sit down with them and go like, yeah, it's amazing, but there will be challenges. <laughs> there will be tough times. I'll give you a free piece of advice that I remember from my marital counseling, which rocked my world and understanding of women. Uh, <laughs> my pastor sat me down and he said, Brett, if your wife looks at you and says, do you want to go out for hamburgers? She's not really asking you if you want to go out for hamburgers. <laughs> She's asking you if you'll take her out for hamburgers. <laughs> I was like, whoa. All right, I'm keeping that one in the back pocket. That one's free, guys. Keep it and use it. Um, no, the point of premarital counseling is, is to equip you with the tools for your marriage because challenges will come. 
tough times will come. I, I've heard of people trying to go into marital premarital counseling. Melton, you've probably interacted with this, of people coming in and being like, nope, we figured out every decision in life we're ever going to face. We know how we're going to face it. The laughter in the room is coming from those who have been married for a little while. <laughs> because you can't. You can't prepare for every problem that's going to come your way. That's not what this passage is teaching. This passage is not teaching that you can just know every decision you're ever going to have to make for Jesus. The passage is asking you if you're willing to let it come at a cost in every area of your life. So when you get to that time of saying and committing your life to Jesus, just like you do to your spouse, you say, till death do us part. For richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. All those types of things. The reality is that no one should be surprised that if you're giving your whole life to someone, that it's going to be invasive and it's going to be extensive. And the question this morning for you is, are there areas of your life that you haven't given over? Are there areas of your finances, your marriage, your ideas about sex and relationships, entertainment, what you do with your time? I don't preach this from a perspective of having it all figured out. I have not arrived. I'm still daily figuring out and learning from the Holy Spirit areas in which my life that I have not surrendered over, things I need to repent of. I'm still growing. But I'll tell you this. My, my journey has not been one where I've, I got it right the first time every time. I almost always get it wrong. But when I choose Christ over the things of this world, I've ne I, I'm not going to say it's, it's easy, but boy, is it satisfying. Boy, is it comforting to know that I am um, loved by the Savior, and that he is pleased with the things I've chosen to do and chosen to say no to. Sin is attractive for a reason. It is distracting, and it makes you stupid, and we choose it all the time. But by God's grace and the Holy Spirit's empowerment, we can say no. So if you're this morning living in an, maybe in an area of addiction, or if you maybe have an area of your life that you have not surrendered over, I just I challenge you to trust it with the Lord Jesus today. Trust that he will help you through that. Repentance can sound like a scary thing. But it's like running from a, from a thorny, scary forest into the arms of the person who loves you more than anything else. It's so comforting. See, the crowd, the crowd of Christianity counts what they can keep despite following Jesus. But a disciple, they count what they can give when they follow Christ. Don't be part of the crowd. Be a disciple. Verse 31, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. This is the story of this king. The first king is sitting there and he realizes an invading kingdom is coming. And so he only has 10,000 men. And this other kingdom is coming. It's not, a, it's not a matter of maybe. It's a matter of time. And he realizes that this other kingdom has 20,000 men. He's only got 10,000. He doesn't have a lot of time. 
to sit there and go, maybe we can, you know, wrestle a few more guys around and, I don't know, we could, like, re-strategize. He doesn't have time for that. He has to make a decision. There's an urgency about this choice. And so he chooses, he should choose, to go and send off a delegation, someone that goes ahead of the whole 10,000 and says, let's ask for terms of peace. How can we, how can we have peace about this? You see, with the first message, Jesus turned to the crowd and said, I don't think you realize what's not guaranteed. With that second parable, with that parable um, of the tower, he says, I don't think you realize what's on the line. But with this, he says, I don't think you realize how crucial this gospel message really is to your life. The question for you this morning, is the gospel pivotal to your life or trivial? Is it pivotal or trivial? And when you interact with people who talk about the gospel, in which way do they speak about it? Do they talk about it as an option amongst many? Jesus did not leave space for that. Jesus did not leave space for the idea that he's one of many ways to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. So the gospel has to be the understanding that Jesus is the most defining person in all of history. You have to understand that who you say and believe he is determines your whole life and your whole worldview. Um, H.G. Wells said this, I'm a historian and I'm not a believer, but I must confess that as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. C.S. Lewis says, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something else. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The, real, the reality is that the gospel is the most important message. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important message that has ever come to this earth. And it's the most important message for your entire life. It's what you live for. Um, when I was in university, I took a course, uh, an anthropology course. And uh, part of anthropology is they, the teacher taught a lot about evolution and things like that. And, uh, and one of the things that they taught <clears throat> One, sorry, one of the questions that was asked of us is, um, why can there be no other teaching than evolution in the classroom? That was like, I mean, talk about a loaded setup question, right? That was the question for me on, I don't know if it was my exam or just a really important thing. It was something that I couldn't avoid doing and say no to. And when I requested that we reword the question, they said, ha, <laughs> no. And they wouldn't let us. And, uh, and so I, I tried to answer the question in the right way. And so the question was, why can no other teaching except evolution be taught in the classroom? And I, I just kind of tried to answer it in, in this kind of a fashion of saying, I don't think you can afford to teach anything else right now. After all the expenses and money you've put into pro trying to proclaim this idea of evolution, you just try to take one step back and you're going to have no science department, you're going to have no scientists in, in, in a lot of these areas, you're just going to have a lot of people who have built their whole lives and their whole beliefs on this. It's going to cost you everything to not teach evolution in the classroom at this point. 
because the reality is if you see that kind of thing through to the end, you, just, you, you have to see it through the end. You can't afford to not follow through on it now that you've put this much money into it, this much time, this much belief into it. You've built your whole society on it. You see, with the gospel, if you build your whole life on it, it will not fall apart. If you build your whole life on the belief that Jesus Christ is Lord and you see that through, you might spend more of your, you might give more of your money to the church. You might spend more of your years helping people. You might um, become a, a really great husband or wife or mom. No other belief, no other worldview really offers the kind of beauty and wonderful life that the gospel offers as you follow it through. When I, was a, when I was a youth pastor or a youth leader, I would work with teens all the time, and one thing that always broke my heart with teenagers is just the apathy. When you talk to them and they just go, yeah, I don't care. And it's tough, like, how do you teach someone to care that just keeps saying, I don't care? You should care more, I don't care. <laughs> it, it was tough because what I would implore for them is to follow after Christ with their life, even now as a teenager. And they would continually say to me, like, maybe later on in life, maybe when, you know, I become an adult, maybe, you know what, I'll, I'll deal with that. Um, I, I regularly with young guys that go, you know, my, my, my addiction to pornography is going to be much easier when I, when I get married. I go, you are sadly mistaken. You're sadly mistaken if you think that indecision is an option. You see, this, this king had no chance to just sit there and go, time out. <laughs> he had to make a choice. You can't just put a pause button on life because indecision is a decision in and of itself when time is ticking and people are coming and going. And, and I'll tell you, as a person who is not very far into my marriage and, and, and not very far into being a parent, I don't think life is going to get simpler. <laughs> that was a good laugh. Uh, it's true. I don't think my life's going to get simpler. I'm not going to think just because my son is uh, potty trained that I'm just going to enjoy the teenage years. <laughs> um, the reality is life does get harder and more complicated. It doesn't slow down. There is not going to be some next season where you're like, maybe I'll take Jesus seriously then. I'm telling you and I'm imploring you, now is the time. There's no better time than now. And when you choose to say to yourself, I'll put this off, you've made a decision in and of itself. I'm not saying you have to have your whole life together right now. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just asking if you would just give your whole life to be put together by Christ and let him have every area. See, there's a big difference between seeing the value of the gospel and seizing the value of the gospel. Many people see the value of the gospel. They just see it as something they're like, you know what, this is great. When I die, I know where I'm going. And that's not really what Christ is offering here. What he's asking is, will you take full advantage of who I am now in your life, in all areas of your life? You see, seeing is thinking that you'll take Jesus and God seriously later, but seizing is taking God seriously now. Uh, when I was about... 13 or 14, I had these guys that used to take me downtown Toronto to go and uh, evangelize to strangers, and 
Um, it was just because I was the kind of kid that if you dared me to do it, I'd just do it. <laughs> and, uh, and that got me into a lot of trouble. But in this case, it actually got me into something good. And uh, the, these guys would say, hey, we're going to go see a Jays game. And I'd be like, why are we here four hours early? And uh, they would give me these little things called tracks. I don't know if anyone knows or remembers tracks. They're like a little business card with a gimmicky, like little cartoon and like a saying and, and things like that. And very effective. It's just a great way to just, you would, I, you would walk up to somebody and you'd give them a tract and they'd read it and they'd be like, who is this stranger? And they would kind of get confronted by a saying on it. And often these tracks would, would have different uh, sayings on them, but one that always stood out to me was the track that would ask the question, um, it would say, if you died today, do you know where you would go? To heaven or to hell? And, uh, and it's very effective, don't, don't get me wrong, because the reality is we know how short life can be and how quick it can be taken away. And it, it's very effective because, of course, who doesn't want to go to heaven? But I think there's a flip side that we have to consider. And it's, it's the, the flip side is this. Yeah, if I die today, yeah, and I want to know where I'm going. But the question is, when you live tomorrow, what will you live for? What will consume the purpose of your life? What will consume your value, your hope? What are you going to get up for? Are you living for the weekend? Are you living to please your wife? Living to please your boss? Those are boring. <laughs> they are. There's nothing as life-giving and exciting and wonderful as living your whole life for Christ. It's not automatic. It's not easy. But boy, is it satisfying. And here's where the, the passage gets to in verse... Uh, 33, so therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I'm going to invite the band up at this time. And he keeps going, and he says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Salt. Back then, salt was used for a lot of things. It was used for your food. It was used for, uh, like for making food, but it was also used for keeping your food. It was used in a lot of different purposes for healing and stuff like that. But you could go and buy salt, and you'd buy it and not in like a little neat little package with like all your different options and, and things like that. It would come as just a rock, basically. And you would either break it down or you would use it in whatever way you wanted to. But you could go into the market and you could actually pick up salt, something that looked a lot like salt. And if you licked it, tasted like salt. But by the time you got home, you realized, this ain't salt. It's just a rock. And Jesus is saying, are you going to be like that? Because you know what they did with the leftover salt? It was useless. You couldn't use it for building anything. Couldn't use it for like a tool. It was absolutely useless. And so you would just take the salt and toss it in the road. Because the only thing it would be used for is for gravel. Just used to fill the dirt in the ground. I tell you, I want my life to be used. I don't have many years on this earth, but for those years, I want them to be used for the sake of the most important thing in all of history, the most important person in all of history. I don't want my life wasted. And so I want to be a disciple, not part of the crowd. And I ask if you would choose to do that today as well. Let me pray. Lord, help us to cherish you, to love you, 
to follow you. Lord, some of us this morning have only given you a portion of our lives. Help us to give you all of it. Father, some of us this morning are, are nervous about that. Give us a boldness to trust you with it. Thank you that your gospel is good news in all life situations, in the hardest of struggles. May there be no fakers, no crowd members in this church today, Lord. May everyone choose to be a disciple. Father, we say this with confidence. Christ is enough. Amen.